The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For it is written by the, by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, come before you. We thank you. Uh, we thank you for you. What we ask for, uh, for discernment, we ask for humility and patience and love and kindness because, Lord, you are the source of all good things. Lord, in Christmas, we, uh, we look forward and we bless and we, we worship uh, the one who gives gifts, not the gifts, Lord, but the one who, who all gifts come from. Lord, we thank you for your son. We thank you that he has given life to us. Lord, I pray that as believers, as a church, that we continue to seek new life in you so we can go ahead and make disciples just as you commanded. Lord, we thank you. We love you for the people that are here, the peop- for the people that are not here. Uh, bless our hearts, Lord. Let the, med- the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. You're my rock and you're my redeemer. And the church said, amen. Amen. Thanks, Ryan. All right, well, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, all right. Um, if this is your first time here, my name is Randall, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here. And it's just a great gift to be able to come together today. You know, we've been going through this Advent season, anticipation of Jesus coming, and now we are celebrating Jesus' arrival. Um, and so in a couple days, we're gonna have Christmas. And uh, just as was said earlier, we're not gonna have a, a service, but that doesn't mean that we don't celebrate, right? That doesn't mean that we don't come together. And, and so one of the things that I do just with my family before we start opening gifts and all that stuff is we just read through um, the the story in Luke in Luke 2 um, of Jesus and his arrival and so that's a way that me and my wife we disciple our kids and just sharing with them hey this is what this is about 
You know, you're gonna get gifts, you're gonna get all this stuff, but this is about Jesus. And so we want them to walk away with the greatest gift of all. And so that's what we do as a family, and I encourage you to do that. And so we're gonna have a a video online that you can check out. It'll be streaming and all that stuff, and hopefully that will just point you back to Christ, right? Point you back to Jesus. Uh, So today, we're gonna be going through Matthew 2, 1 through 12. and, um, And here's the message today. As we think about this time, Jesus' arrival, here's the message, the decision to worship. The decision to worship. Uh, Now, if you don't know me, I've got three kids. Uh, Me and my wife have three kids, and um, my middle child, Elle, she recently, she's just been having these conversations um, in the car, uh, and interesting conversations, interesting stuff. And so we're driving this week, and um, one of the things she did was she turned to my five-year-old, she's six, turned to my five-year-old, and she says, "Um, me and my friends, we are goddesses. (laughs) And um, so I did like one of those double takes where we're what? You know, like where did that come from? And then my five-year-old turns to her and says, you're not a goddess. There is only one God. And so there's this conversation, yeah, that's, that's, that's happening back there between my five-year-old and six-year-old. And, um, and she's like, well, you didn't know you stop. I'm not like God, but I'm like, you know, you're the goddess. And she's like trying to explain that. And so, um, Dad, is she a goddess? I'm like, well, I'm going to have to go with the five-year-old on this one. There's only one God. And, um, and so... You're not God, right? And so we're having this conversation. But I love you. You're not God. Um, And so as we look at Matthew 2, uh, 1 through 12, what does this say about Jesus' identity? Is that when he says that he's God, he's not messing around. He really is God. And there's, there's no confusion about this. Because as we look at the response that happens, not only from Mary and Joseph, who, mind you, are Jewish and would not, within their thinking and in, 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 in the framework in, in which they've grown up in, would not have worshipped a human being, but they knew there was only one God. They worshipped. But not only them, but outsiders. Gentiles traveling to come. And what was the response? Worship. Jesus is God. And he's come to be worshiped. Look at Matthew 2.11. Here's what it says. It says, and going into the house, they saw the child and Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Here's the question. As we look at what would have been considered outsiders coming in, but also the insiders worshiping Jesus, we have to ask today, as that covers all the bases, what do we worship? What do we worship? Because believe it or not, all of us, Worship. Today, we might even come in here and say, I don't even know if there's a God, but I want you to know that today, you worship something. Every one of us worships. 
author and, and thinker, David Foster Wallace, who was not a, a believer, but a great thinker, before he tragically took his own life at a commencement address uh, given at Kenyon College. Here's what he says. He says, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, then you will never have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before, you finally, before they finally plant you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid. You will need even more power over things to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. Again, this is somebody who's a thinker but not a Christian. And what he says is that all of us worship. See, the Bible has a a word for this. It's called idol worship. It's when something takes the place of God and we start to worship that rather than God himself. It's when we take a good thing and make it an ultimate thing. Richard Keyes explains idol worship this way. He says, an idol is something within creation that is is inflated to function as God. All sorts of things are potential idols depending only on our attitudes and actions toward them. Idolatry may not involve explicit denials of God's existence or character. It may well come in the form of an overattachment to something that is in itself perfectly good. An idol can be a a physical object, a property, a person, an activity, a role, an institution, a hope, an image, an idea, a pleasure, a hero, anything that can substitute for God. See, what I want us to get today before we jump into this text is that we are worshiping something now. All of us worship. One famous theologian once said, the human heart is a factory of idols. Every one of us is from his mother's womb expert in inviting, inventing idols. We're always doing this. You see, it's not whether or not we worship, it's who we worship. And so today our text is Matthew 2, 1 through 12. And the question is, what does it look like to worship Jesus? What does it look like when Jesus starts to usurp some of the authority that we've given to these other things that we worship and he takes the throne? Well, there are three parts to Jesus being the one we worship. The first one is this. Number one, it's a disruption. It's a disruption. Number two, it's a dethroning. And number three, it's a decision. It's a disruption, it's a dethroning, it's a decision. All right, so first, it's a disruption. Uh, Look at verses two and three. So talking about the Magi's here, here's what it says. It says, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled 
and all Jerusalem with him. Troubled. You see, there's a disruption that starts with this question. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Been born king of the Jews. Not becoming king of the Jews, but born king of the Jews. Hold on, I thought it said that there was King Herod. Herod was a king. Jesus is born king. Commentator D.A. Carson says this about this verse. He says, we must not think that the Magi's question meant, where is the one born to become king of the Jews, but where is the one born king of the Jews? His kingly status was not conferred on him later on. It was his from birth. From birth, right? So Jesus is king from birth. And they're talking, the Magi's are talking specifically to Herod the king about this. And his response is, this is a disturbance for him. This is a disruption. What he's hearing is that he is no longer king. And that doesn't sit well with him. And so what was the response? He and all Jerusalem were troubled. This word for troubled means to strike one's spirit with fear and dread. Fear and dread. See, why was he troubled? It's because his little kingdom was being threatened. And that was a major disruption for him. Because for his whole life, he lived in a way in which he thought, I'm in charge. I'm in charge. And here's the thing, he was the one that was supposed to be under God's authority. Yet, instead, he was living as if he was the king of the world. See, the God of the Bible does not present himself just as an innocent baby coming to be born. We need to get this. He doesn't come just as saying, well, he's just this Jesus being born as a baby, but he's coming as a reigning king, a ruler. And that type of presentation can be troubling for us. Let's be honest. Why is that troubling? It's because all of us want to be the ruler of our own lives. We want to be the ones that are in charge. We want to be the ones that are making decisions. And so we don't want to be under authority, especially authority from God. See, Pew, Pew Research put out recently that 80% of Americans believe in God. 80% of Americans believe in God. But let me be more specific with the question. We may believe in God, but how do we believe, how about, or what do we believe about the God of the Bible? And how do we feel about him? See, I, I'm not talking about believing in an abstract God. I'm talking about a God who comes in and says, I'm king. I'm in charge. Psalm 2, 1 through 6 says this. It says, why do the nations conspire and the, the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. See, what we find in this passage in the book of Psalms is, is that there is this God who is over all things, even the rulers of the earth, over all things. And what was their response 
It says that they conspire together to say there is no God. They, they, they conspire together to say, let me throw off the shackles because I'm in charge of my life. But God's response is it says that he laughs. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. He says, I have installed my king my, on my holy mountain. See, and what we see here is as, as God sends himself as a baby in the person of Jesus, he's saying, I am king and I am ruler of all things. John Piper once says, our rebellion against God is total. Apart from the grace of God is no glad submission to the sovereign authority of God. Right, the sovereign authority of God. The grace of God coming into our lives and seeing that God is God and we are not. Jesus, as king, starts as a disruption to our current way of life. We start to think about it, we say, wow, that means that if he really is who he says he is, then I'm not in charge of my life. Second part of that is it's a dethroning. It's a dethroning. And so, verse six, it says, but you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So we find out that Jesus comes Humbly, yet we find out the character of who he is. How does he dethrone the rulers of this world? Well, he does it by dethroning the way which we think about royalty. He does it by coming humbly and saying, that's the royal, like you think that you know what a royal system looks like. Right, some of us are just so infatuated with the royal weddings. Right, like just you read up about it. It's just like, oh, I just wish that I could be there, experience it, and, and it's just all this lavish lifestyle of what it looks like to be royalty. But Jesus comes in and says, "That's what you think of royalty, but I will dethrone that. I will dethrone it." And how does he do it? It says that God came to the least, least among the rulers of Judah. You think about this, what does it say here? It says that Bethlehem in the land of Judah, this small, insignificant town, that is where I will come. Why is that place not the least? It's because the greatest breaks through. It says that's where I wanna be. That's the place. That's a dethroning of the way which we think about royalty. But then secondly, it says that God came to be a shepherd. Verse six tells us that he came to shepherd my people, Israel. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. Like Steve Matthewson says this, he says, shepherds represent those from a lower economic class in first century Palestine. God came not only to the least, but he also came and associated himself with the lowest economic job, the lowest economic class. I said, that is where I'll be. That's who I'll associate with. I was born in 1982. And that year, my grandmother saw 
this basket in which Prince William was being carried in. And so my grandmother said, I'm gonna buy that basket. My first grandson is being born and I'm gonna have that basket. And so my grandmother did everything she could and she bought that basket so that when I came home, I was carried in the same basket as Prince William. I don't know where that basket is today. (laughs) We don't know. But that's not how Jesus came. Timothy Keller says this. He says, when God came to earth in the form of Jesus Christ, he was born in the feed trough. When his parents took him to circumcision, their offering was two pigeons, the offering that was accepted for those on the lowest rung on the economic ladder. Jesus was essentially homeless. He said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He rode into town on a borrowed donkey. He ate his last meal in a borrowed room. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. He was poor. You think about how Jesus came. He came to dethrone the way in which we think of royalty. See, our king was not born in a palace, but instead, he came to dethrone that way. And so in 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says this, it says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, rich, yet for your sake, for my sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. You wanna know the true riches and the true wealth that only can come from God? It's in Jesus. It's in him. You know, when you think about this, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago and if you weren't able to listen to it I would encourage you to listen to Matthew 1 1 through 17 as we talked about the genealogy of Jesus and what we find is this that Jesus he came from a pretty dysfunctional lineage pretty dysfunctional lineage see our king came as a lowly shepherd who can identify with the poor and the broken that's the message of Christmas that's the good news of the gospel See, no one's left out, but he can meet us all there in that place. The third and last point is this, it's a decision. It's a decision. So look at verses 11 and 12. It says, and and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. See, the wise men saw Jesus. They saw him. They traveled all this way. They saw him. And they had to make a personal decision. And so what it says in verse 11, it says that they fell down, they worshiped, and they offered him gifts. See, what this is is not just saying, I see him, but I fall down before him, and I offer him what I have. See, what this, the gifts describe is the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and so many believe that it's, the gold is to represent Jesus' kingship, that he is king. That the frankincense is to represent his divinity, that he is God, right? Emmanuel, God with us. But lastly, the myrrh, it's the reason. He's not just the king, He's not just God with us, but he is God who came to die for us. The myrrh, 
was for his burial. There's this song that we sang last week. It was Joy Has Dawned. It's by Keith Getty, Stuart Townend. And here's what what the words say. It says this, gifts of men from distant lands prophesy the story. Gold, a king is born today. Incense, God is with us. Myrrh, his death will make a way. And by his blood, he'll win us. You see, what is it, the message of Christ? The message of Jesus coming, God with us, is that we would come and know that it's the decision. First, it was the decision by God to come and to die. And so how do we respond when we hear that? See, lastly, in verse 12, it says, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. They made this decision as they've experienced God to say, no longer will I go to King Herod, the old way, the old royalty, the old system, but now I'm going to Jesus and I'll follow him. I'll listen to him. They're not trusting in the old king, but they're trusting in the new king. And so just quickly, some takeaways. How how do I worship Jesus as king? Let's apply this to our lives. First one is this. Admit that I need a king. Admit that I I, I worship. I worship. And that there are things that I'm making, my king or my ruler, that are controlling my life, and it's not Jesus. And so instead of worshiping and being fulfilled, what's happening is I'm worshiping, and it's just consuming me. And so let's explore and just say, okay, what is it that I worship? Why is it ruling my life? And could I just hand it over to Jesus? Second is just identify personal idols. Again, this is digging deeper, right? Like admit I need a king, but identify. Like what are those things? Might be physical things, like my, my looks or any of those types of things. Might be possessions, might be a person, might be an activity, a role, an institution, a hope, a dream, something that we're placing our identity in saying this is gonna be the thing that's gonna get me there and make my life. Identify those things. Third, let's stop defending our kingdom. Stop defending my kingdom, right? See, what is it, let me ask, what is it about the Christian life that feels like a disruption? Like a disruption. Like, ah, that's really not the way I want to live my life. Here's the thing. When you read the Bible, there will probably be more than one disruption that's going to come into your life. It's going to be like, you're going to read it and you're going to think to yourself, man, that that really makes me uncomfortable. I don't think that way. I, I don't believe that and and so it's going to disrupt you here's why it's because we are so used to being the king and queen of our lives and so it's going to disrupt us and it's going to make us feel like okay I don't want to do that but then coming to God and saying okay God you're the king not me and so let me stop defending this thing that I'm that's going to be a disruption to me and say okay Lord I submit You're the ruler. You're the authority. God, help me to live this out. 
See, many times what we do is we make excuses. We make excuses and we say, I want to hold on to this. But the way that you know, when it comes in and, and you feel disrupted, that you have a real relationship with God is when you say, okay, God, I trust you. I trust you. Even though this doesn't match up with what I think or what I thought, God, I trust you. That's a part of being in a real relationship with God because it's gonna disrupt us. And then you know that, you know, I, I was at this thing a couple months ago and I, I told this before, but I thought it was just so like revolutionary to me. There's a guy who's in New York and he does, he works with uh, people who are in rehab. And one of the things they gotta do is they gotta talk about, you know, like believing in something like a higher power or something. So it's like Alcoholics Anonymous, th that type of thing, like believing in a higher power. And, um, and so he talks with people going through this. And, and he said one of the things that he does is you say, okay, well, who's your, who's your higher power? Like is there, and they're like, I, you know, I, I believe in God. And he's like, well, do, do you, does this higher power ever disagree with you? And he said, well, some of them will just be like, well, well no. You say, well, then, you, then you're the higher power. That's how you know you're the higher power because you don't have a higher power because you're the power in your life. Like, if there's nothing that disagrees with you, then there's nothing that's disrupting you. <laughs> and so God will come in and he will disrupt our little kingdoms. Why does he do it? Because he loves us. <laughs> because he loves us. And he does it because he doesn't want us to get consumed by that little thing that we're worshiping. Lastly, it's this. It's laying my treasure at Jesus' feet. Here's the only way you can do that. This is the only way you can do it because it, it, this isn't like this. Okay, I'm just gonna lay everything down at Jesus' feet. I'm just gonna worship Jesus with everything I have. No, 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 no. This is the only way it happens. It's when you see Jesus laying down his treasure for you. It's, it's when you see that he was the one who was rich. That, that's what 2 Corinthians is talking about. It's saying when he was rich, yet he was rich, he became poor. He chose to become poor. Why? He says for our sake. For our sake. And so when you see Jesus laying down his treasures, king of heaven, ruler of all things, to become the lowest of the low. Jesus says, I had no place to lay my head. When you see him, then what you'll do is you'll say, he's my treasure. Jesus is my treasure. J Jesus is my greatest treasure that I could ever have. And so all these other things that I thought were treasures are not real treasure and I can lay it all down at his feet and say okay Lord you're in charge you're ruler of all so that's what it looks like that's the good news here's the thing Queen Elizabeth of England I love this quote I've used this before this is what she once said she says I wish I could be alive when Christ returns because I would love to be the first earthly monarch to take my crown and lay it at his feet isn't that beautiful See, when you lay down your treasure, when you understand that all these things, they're not true treasures and Jesus is the real treasure, Jesus becomes everything. He becomes your king. And what you'll see is that actually you are his treasure. 
You are God's treasure. That he treasures you. Because when you, when you read in the book of Psalms, it also says that you're the apple of his eye. What does that mean? Well, the apple of the eye is the most inner part, the most sensitive part of your eye. And that God could look at you and say, that is how I see you. You're my treasure. You are worth sacrificing everything for. You are worth coming for and, and living a life where it says he was a man of sorrows. You are worth that. And so I'll lay it all down for you. That's the good news of the gospel today. And so let that ring in your heart as we celebrate Christmas this year. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that the greatest treasure of all is Christ. That he came, he died for us. And that as we look at this story, of people from distant lands coming to lay down their treasures, but also we see Mary and Joseph as they just treasure in their heart being next to you, being with you. God, I pray that that just rings true in our hearts as we celebrate this time of the year. And we remember, God, that you came to be with us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.